WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. It's a busy time here on the show today, Tuesday, December 19th. We just finished taping an incredible interview that you will hear uh, in a, in a few days, in a handful of days uh, about basketball, Syracuse 83, Oregon 63, uh, a huge non-conference win for the Orange who have the chance to go nine and two out of league play uh, against Niagara on Thursday. Uh, you're probably listening to this on Wednesday, so that'd be one day before that. But we're gonna, you know, save the basketball for a little bit later. Um, uh, we have a very special guest for that. Uh, but today's football, and we have an interview coming up with Emily Laker, which we recorded last Friday. So this was before Kyle McCord committed to Syracuse. It's before some other news happened with the uh, with the football team, and we'll touch on all of that here. Um, my name is Ethan Frank, and as always, we're brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology here on the Ostrom Avenue podcast, joined by my co-hosts, Jordan Leonard, Hudson Ridley. Fellas, how are we? Oh, we're, we're I'm doing great, Ethan. You know, we were talking some basketball earlier, so I didn't mention this, but I'm officially credentialed for the Boca Raton Bowl, so we're getting some boots on the ground for the Ostrom Avenue podcast down in Boca Raton. Nice. There we go. I, I'm switching my brain right now from basketball to football mode. So the wheels are are starting to turn here. I wish I could be boots on the ground. I think I'll be in Florida at that time, just on the other side of the state completely. So South well, Southeast part of the state is just better. You know, you know the saying goes, Jordan. You know the saying goes. Uh in Florida, the more south you go, the more north you get in terms Max. of retirees. That's that is that is the saying. Shout That's out to true. my my close personal friend John King for that uh, for that saying. Um, an exciting time to to be a Syracuse football fan. Uh, the recruiting trail has been hot and heavy. Uh, we talked about that with Emily, as you'll hear coming up in a little bit. Emily rapidly gaining steam as one of the uh, more you know experienced guests on the show. Uh, her, her, it's really is a three horse race between her, Brent, and Mike, all Syracuse.com colleagues. Um, but the big news, Kyle McCord committed to Syracuse on Sunday. Uh, Brent broke that news very late Saturday night, maybe early Sunday morning. Um, I mean, if if you didn't see our, our initial reaction video on the W8ER Sports Talk Twitter, please go check that out at W8ER Sports Talk. Jordan and uh, Braden Reed did about, what, 10, 12, 13 minutes breaking down what this means for Syracuse moving forward, both, you know, specifically at the quarterback position and for next season and just about recruiting 
in general, but you know, so Jordan, what, what was your, what was your biggest takeaway from Kyle McCord? Yeah. I mean, it's something that Syracuse needed to do. You look at all these recruits that have transferred over wide receivers, edge rushers, you know, cornerbacks, all that. But the real question was what, who can Syracuse get as the quarterback? As John Wildhack said, when they fired Dino Babers, this is not a reboot. i sorry, this is not a rebuild. It is a reboot. They want to win next year, and Fran Brown wants to win next year. So how do you do that? Solidifying the quarterback room. You knew this, the Syracuse quarterback was going to come from not on the roster. Carlos Trader out of eligibility. Carlos Del Rio Wilson, you know, most likely not the solution. So they needed a quarterback, and they got a really good one in Kyle McCord, who started at Ohio State. And also it signals to other recruits as National Signing Day comes up and the transfer portal window stays open until January 2nd that you have a quarterback that can get them the ball. So I don't think this is the last move that Syracuse makes now that they have solidified and has a solid to good starting quarterback in place for next year. It could just be a stepping stone for what Syracuse can achieve in the coming weeks. I fully agree with that kind of snowball effect, too, that Kyle McCord can bring to the recruiting cycle. Obviously, he's going to bring a decent bit to this team going forward in terms of what they can show as a product on the field. But face it, quarterback was not the only hole. There are holes in the offensive line. There are obviously holes with the defense and guys leaving. So Kyle McCord, like you said, Jordan, signals to other recruits to come here. I saw a uh, offensive lineman be offered today as a grad transfer from Ohio pretty good player there a lot of the issues in my mind still lie on the offensive line and who's going to be there because it doesn't matter how good Kyle McCord is if no one's blocking for Kyle McCord Kyle McCord is going to look bad no matter what he he came from an offense that was a well-oiled machine and face it sometimes he wasn't the best part of that well-oiled machine so he's going to need guys around him because he's a game manager quarterback this does though create a snowball where Okay, these offensive linemen know who they're going to be blocking for next season. That's going to be a lot more like attractive than some of the other offers they're getting of like Texas A&M, where you don't know who you're going to be blocking for. Some of these other teams in the ACC where you don't necessarily know who the quarterback's going to be. You have a solidified guy in Kyle McCord, and it also shows that Fran Brown in his first year. I, I mean, a lot of Ohio State fans are saying, oh, this Syracuse. Why Syracuse? Why Syracuse? Well, Fran Brown is proving that this is a destination now. This is a place that guys can go. Kyle McCord is the biggest piece of that now, what we consider a destination to go to. And if they can continue that snowball effect, I mean, this is massive for the program, regardless of how good Kyle McCord is or not on the field. It's how good he is on the books. Those stars mean something. That pedigree of being a former Ohio State quarterback means something. That is what it brings more to this team, I think, than what he'll show on the field next year. I, I honestly have no idea what to say because everything I was going to say, you just said, Hudson, like legitimately <laughs> everything you said uh, in terms of the offensive line. I mean, that's a huge question. Uh, th- this is a team that couldn't keep its quarterback up, right? Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about Garrett Schrader uh, a, a little bit later in the show, but you know, he, he it was announced he, on Monday morning. He's not playing in the bowl game. He had shoulder surgery of an injury he suffered on the first play against Virginia Tech back in October. You know what happened on that play? Uh, protection broke down, and he had to scramble, and he got you know hit on his shoulder and landed funny. Um, so, just a, a and that's a guy who escapes the pocket. Kyle McCord's a pocket passer. Uh, in terms of the overall recruiting of this program right now, you know, Kyle McCord comes from a a coach who has been uh, called, uh, you know, he's born on third base and, and thinks he hit a triple. I can tell you for sure. You know who doesn't think they were born on third base? Fran Brown. Uh, I, I think that 
friend, that'd probably be, you know, the exact opposite of, of what some people think about Ryan day at Ohio state. And when you look at the overall recruiting now, I know there, there have been some decommitments, but when you factor in the transfer portal and high school recruiting, Syracuse currently has the 40th best recruiting class in the country. Like that's no small feat at all. No, not no. at all. Especially with their recent history in terms of recruiting, they haven't, I don't think they had a top 50 class in all eight years of Dino Babers' tenure. And Fran Brown, let's just remind everyone, is doing this, putting together – now, obviously, Dino had some commits, but Fran Brown is doing the grunt work in just two weeks' time. He was named head coach on December 4th. We're recording this on December 19th, and there's still more to come that I believe that will, that people will commit to Syracuse. I do agree that the offensive line is a concern. However, though, when you have a quarterback that can throw the ball – and then you obviously have LaQuinn Allen, who is a pretty solid running back. When you have that multifaceted offense, it makes the defense guess a little bit more. They can't pin their ears back and rush the passer because they know they can't throw the ball down the field no matter what. So I think having a quarterback like Kyle McCord that can get the ball down the field, put it in tight windows to receivers is going to help the offensive line out a lot. Um, but they do obviously need to you know, look into getting some replacements in that sense. Yeah, and you know what the biggest thing for Fran Brown with the players Dino Babers recruited like you mentioned Jordan uh was probably retaining four-star tight end Jamie Tremble from Georgia and there was a piece out today that he said he you know he was thinking about it but he officially visited over the weekend and he's going to sign with Syracuse on national signing day so yes Dino did and his staff did the heavy lifting of getting him to commit in the first place but this is the second highest rated recruit uh in this high school class for Fran Brown and he's gotten to affirm that commitment which is a huge huge deal I think also what's been really impressive to me about this whole stretch is that Syracuse has kind of been doing this a little bit on a handicap. Elijah Robinson, the new defensive coordinator, was one of the best recruiters in the country a few years ago. I think he was second in 2022 or 2021, really high up there, and got some big-name recruits. Well, a lot of those big-name recruits after Jimbo Fisher left are now in the portal. If I look at the top football transfers right here, number one, Walter Nolan, Texas A&M. Another guy, Chase Bionitis, right here at eleven. That's a Texas A&M guy. Who's, who's your guy? Who's your guy, Jordan, that you want them to? Who's the Texas A&M guy that you always talk to me about? Deal Diggs. Deal Diggs. Yeah. See, His brother, Fatim, just guys. committed. Yeah, Fatim there's a lot of committed. guys that Elijah Robinson said, I'm not going to go recruit them. I'm not going to take guys away from Texas A&M. There's a lot of guys that would really help the Syracuse team that are transferring out of Texas A&M. That would put Syracuse on a whole nother pedigree. And even without having to do that, they've still advanced their classes very high. A top 40 class in Syracuse over the last four years, we haven't seen like top 60 classes. We're hoping for top 70 classes. And now instantly a top 40 class in the last two weeks, convincing guys that were already committed to other schools or they were at Georgia or going to Colorado, some of these destination schools that are big headline programs that, hey, Syracuse is the new wave. Syracuse is the new program. That's what's been the most impressive thing to me about this is convincing guys in a short period of time with not taking those guys from Texas A&M that are now in the portal to say, hey, this school is a place where you're going to want to go to play football, regardless of the weather. People keep tweeting at some of these recruits like, oh, but the weather, you, you want to go to Colorado. You don't want to stay in that weather kind of thing. And they don't mind it. They're willing to overlook some things for Fran Brown. And I think that's incredibly impressive what he's done just in two weeks, too. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it is really impressive when tomorrow, or I guess we're recording this Tuesday, Wednesday, December 20th is National Signing Day. Would not be a surprise to see King Joseph Edwards, the defensive end, commit to and sign with Syracuse. Uh, that is, I, I haven't seen the crystal balls. Uh, Jordan, have you, are there crystal balls for the King Joseph crystal, Edwards? Crystal balls have him going to Syracuse. Also, there's a four-star cornerback, Coy Beasley, that's right now committed to Purdue, who also visited Syracuse. There has, I don't know if there's been a crystal ball for him to go to Syracuse, but it'd be interesting to see if he switches or not. Uh, it's, it's looking like Coy Beasley will end up being Purdue, which is everything that's circling right there now. There is another four-star cornerback, though, uh, Baines, I'm pretty sure is his last name. He got uh, he was recruited by Fran Brown. Marcellus, Marcellus Barnes. Marcellus Barnes, Barnes Jr., Barnes. yes. He was recruited he's by a, Fran Brown when he was at Georgia. He's a four-star on the, on the composite. Uh, Top 400 recruit overall. I think that put him third in Syracuse class. I think behind Tremble and uh, and Emmanuel Ross, the guy they flipped from Stanford. Right now, the uh, the crystal balls do say Syracuse for uh, for Marcellus Barnes Jr. as well. So, I mean, just I mean, incredible momentum. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, before we get to Emily, any uh, any final you know football thoughts before before we move on, guys? It's so funny. Uh, I'm prepping for this bowl game in terms of hosting it on Thursday. And all I can think about is next year's football team because of how much momentum there is for Syracuse going into next year. But I think we got to don't discount the fact that if Syracuse wins the bowl game on Thursday with the state, their roster is in and, you know, the coaching staff is not next year's coaching staff yet. It really will show that, you know, Syracuse is on a continual rise. Now you have Fran Brown, you're all energized in the recruiting. If you can get the win in the Boca Raton bowl, even though it might not mean too much, it'll certify a winning season and good times ahead for Syracuse. Yeah, South Florida, I agree with Jordan. South Florida is a team that, I mean, they're not power five, but the American is still a really strong conference. And at times, South Florida and Central Florida and teams like that can be borderline power five. If you can beat a team like that, who's a... US, five, UCF won the national championship in, what, 2017? People forget they beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl. That was their national championship. People forget about that. So if they can beat a USF team without a guy on the roster that can has proven they can throw a forward pass... If they can win with a 1910s Notre Dame style offense in a bowl game over a team that made it to a bowl game from a group of five conference, that's still impressive. And that's a big building block. So we can't really overlook Thursday. We'll have full coverage of that game on WAER. Make sure to tune in. Jordan will be there. Uh, he'll be contributing in all sorts of roles to the broadcast. But now let's get, let's get to Emily. Uh, we recorded this, as we mentioned at the top, on Friday. So this was before Kyle McCord committed, before Garrett Schrader uh, announced he had so shoulder surgery. So some things up in the air. But overall, a lot of good information about the state of this team and this program. Great to have Emily on for a second time this season. Hope you guys enjoy. We are now joined by recurring guest, one of a, one of our most popular guests here here on the podcast. It's Emily Liker of Syracuse.com. Emily, how are you? I'm well. How are you guys? We're good. Recording this just for full disclosure, six days before the Boca Raton Bowl. It's Friday, December 15th. So, Emily, let's you know start super broad. I guess, you know, we talked to you at the beginning of the season before the Colgate game, and now we're here after 12 games, and a lot has happened uh, in Syracuse over the course of this football season. So, uh, so what was your season like? 
it was a bit, it was a unique season. You know, I've only been here two seasons, but like, I feel like I've got every situation imaginable through two seasons of football. And, you know, I think back at the beginning of the season, it, it, it's kind of crazy to think back because at that time, like we were all talking like, this is a nine win season. Maybe they make a push for 10. Like does Dino like save his job and get another extension? And now we're here at the end and Dino did not save his job. They did not come anywhere close to nine wins. Uh, they barely scraped a bowl game. So it's been a lot. And then the three weeks since the end of the regular season have been a whirlwind, which December usually is in college football, you know, just because of everything that's going on. But it is just on another level. Like even I talk to like other friends that are covering college football and I'm like, I feel like something like every time I close my eyes, like there is like eight things that happen and I open my eyes again and I'm like, oh my God, I have so much to catch up on. It's recruiting news. It's transfer portal news. It's, oh my God, there's a new coach being hired. So it has been a, it's been a very busy season, but I think it was entertaining, even if for Syracuse fans, that entertainment was not always positive entertainment. Yeah, you mentioned the the obviously Dino Babers being fired the the last after Georgia Tech, so before the last week of the regular season, covering the coaching search, recruiting, and that is already happening this weekend um, and last weekend. Um, just going back to Dino for one moment, you know he's no longer with Syracuse. What was your favorite Dino Babers moment um, in your two years here, or even just this season alone? Oh boy. There, <laughs> I know there's a lot a of lot them. to choose from. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I have to, to lean back on my old reliable viral moment, which was last season after the NC state when um, uh, they were six and oh, at that time, it was a ranked upset. They thought they were going to go into Clemson crazy. So we're talking sit down post game. And uh, I, I asked about, I believe Garrett Schrader's interceptions was the question I was trying to get out of my mouth before Dino interrupted and was like, Emily, enjoy it. Like this never happened at Missouri, which to be fair, it did not happen at Missouri while I was there. Missouri has been six and oh before some other stretch. I'm sure they've been a number one team at some point in their history. But um, that that was definitely a moment. I, I got that clip up on social ASAP because I went to journalism school and I know that that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> And then I went and got a beer and that was, that was probably my favorite Dino memory, even though like in the moment I was definitely like shaking so much and was like, oh my God, what do I do? How do I keep asking my question? How do I respond to him? So I, I would probably have to go with that. Um, I think the last we saw of Dino is also probably always going to stick with me, especially since like, I don't know, like he might retire and never be seen in the coaching world again. Um, and so being in, in the basement of the Georgia Tech stadium in their their like team weight room, seeing Dino come in and he like walked to the back of the room and like stood there for a second and was like, he, it, it was clear that he was thinking about something and he played it off as like he was thinking about him. He was thinking about the weight room and and how their weight room was better. But now that we know, like he was fired the next morning and we know he had been given this seven and five like requirement and stuff like that. You're just like, what was he really thinking about in that moment? So that's always going to stick with me. That's not necessarily a, 
fun one though. I, I can, I can, I mean, I was you know lucky enough to sit in a handful of press conferences this year and I can still hear him in his Dino voice. You know, anytime you would ask a question, like Emily, like giving you, you know, his whole, his whole spiel. Uh, and, you know, if you're asking about even if you didn't ask about penalties, he would make a point to point out that you didn't ask uh, about penalties because they, you know, happened to to have a, a cleaner game uh, when it when it came to infractions. You mentioned like the hecticness of the last couple of weeks. W- what is covering a coaching search like? I talked about it with uh, we, we talked with Chris Carlson last week and, and he talked about it. We've talked about it with Brent. And he said when I saw him at a basketball game a couple of weeks ago, uh, it, it seemed like he just wanted to go to bed and, and sleep for 12 hours. Um, but what is that like? And then now with the transfer portal, how is that all flowed together? Yeah, it pretty much is just always wanting to sleep and being paired. I I think like the best way to describe it is like anytime I go to do something that's not sitting in front of my laptop, I'm like, what if news breaks? I'm like, I really need to go to the grocery store. What if news breaks? I need to take a shower. What if news breaks? And like at some point, this is also, I think, just like a good lesson for journalists. But like at some point, you just got to set it aside. It's like even if the news breaks you need to go to the grocery store or you need to take a shower and like, it's okay to just take a breather for 10 minutes. Um, But yeah, boy, it's just been everything. This is my second coaching search that I'm covering. I, I covered when Eli Drinkwitz was hired at Mizzou. That was my end of my sophomore year. So I covered the Barry Odom, Eli Drinkwitz um, crossover. And that was definitely different because I was at a student paper at the time and my student editors were not as gung-ho about like us needing to be the ones to break the news on the coaching search and stuff like that. So definitely less pressure, but you know, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's definitely a lot. And Brent and Chris have been a huge help. Um, So we've got a good little team going right now, but it is still a lot to deal with. It's actually funny because I was in charge of, uh, making our men's lacrosse schedule graphic. And I knew, you know, they, they announced that they were announcing it. Um, was it yesterday or whatever day it was? And I knew it was coming out. You just don't know what time. And I had morning casts on the radio and I had to get up at like 530 in the morning. And I was like, I need to take a nap, but I don't know when they're going to actually release the schedule. So I was like, I like half napped and I heard my phone buzzing. I'm like, oh, I think the schedule just came out. Let me go check. Um, so that, that was funny. Um, in terms of, you know, obviously covering the coaching search, the in- introductory press conference and the, the two weeks, I think now at least two weeks since then, what, is, what are your first impressions of Fran Brown? And how do you think that he's going to interact maybe with the media a little bit differently than, you know, your first season, two seasons with uh, Dino Babers? Yeah, you know, Certainly his introductory press conference, I think we got a great taste of what he's going to be like as a person. He's a younger guy. So I think he's just a little bit naturally more, more personable and, and a little bit more out there. Um, he obviously, he, he wasn't like standing at the podium the whole time. He kind of tried to walk around. I, they should have given him a wireless mic. I was like, give this dude a wireless mic. He does not want to stand at the podium. Like they should have given a wireless mic. He could have worked the room. Um, I actually, I don't know when, when this is airing, I, I did get to go in and talk to Brown today a little bit. And um, that was the same kind of tone and demeanor that he had speaking one-on-one. So that was kind of great because sometimes you never know like, oh, is someone turning it on for the boosters and the other people in the room at a press conference? But he was just as um, 
just as much of a storyteller and just as much of kind of like an open and honest, like here's, here's my life and here's the role all of these things have played in my coaching career and stuff like that. So I am, I'm hopeful that he will have a good relationship with us as the media, you know, relationships are his big thing. Like that's what he's talked about so much with recruiting and with just uh, maintaining players and stuff like that. So I'm hopeful that he kind of views us the same way and that we will, we'll get to talk to some of these other kind of big names he's brought in like Elijah Robinson at defensive coordinator and all the other ones that aren't like officially announced yet, but are, are out there. How much optimism do you think there should be within this program? I, I think the thing I keep coming back to is like this recruiting optimism is you know totally warranted and it's unbelievable to see what Brown and his coaches are doing. But like then, you know, it keeps trickling in the back of your mind. What have been some of the big issues with with Dino over the past couple of years? Game management, like timeouts, penalty, like actual like coaching stuff. And Fran Brown, like, hasn't even been a coordinator to, like, be doing this coaching stuff. And based on the hires that he's he's brought in, these also are not people who have been in, in situations like that. So how much full optimism should there be? And what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, why does it feel like there's more optimism for recruiting when there are still these major questions when it comes to actually coaching on the field? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's... It's interesting, right? Because we're going to have to wait so long to really know what his his coaching style is like in terms of all that stuff that you mentioned, like game clock management, what type of decisions is he going to make on like a fourth and one call, um, which we had so many controversial ones this year, it felt like. Um, I think with with the recruiting stuff, it's like we're at that time of year in the athletic calendar where just like recruiting is at the forefront and because he was hyped up so much as a recruiter like I, I do think this was inevitable that there was just going to be kind of like an explosion of optimism and, and positivity around the recruiting and certainly like that is justified like what they are doing what he has done flipping commits bringing in transfers that Syracuse might not have even looked at even the fact that we know these people are visiting like that tells you something because I there were I'm sure have been transfers the past few years that have visited Syracuse, but we just didn't know about it because the previous coaching staff maybe didn't see a value in that or kids didn't want to say like, Oh, I'm looking at Syracuse. And now like to be looking at Syracuse is okay. You're looking at a program that could potentially change its entire reputation in the next handful of years. So it's interesting. I, I do think you have to be balanced. And I, I think, Eventually the the scales will kind of level out. Um, obviously the transfer portal is still open. We're still seeing current guys on the roster leave. And yes, not a lot of them have been starters yet. I do think some of that will happen after the bowl game. These guys want to play in the bowl. They want to close out the season with their 2023 coaches. And then they might be like, hey, I don't want to stay around any longer after that. So I think once January 2nd passes, that's the day that the transfer portal closes, at least in terms of personnel will be able to gauge a little bit better like what the optimism level should be like you'll hopefully know by then who's the quarterback is it McCord is it someone else that they managed to bring in through the portal you'll know is Gadsden returning you'll know is Dan Villari returning LaQuinn all of that stuff and like all indications point to yes at this moment but until we get through this bowl game I think that's still a little up in the air um but yeah that was a long-winded way to say I do think the optimism is justified but there is still a lot to be seen outside of kind of the personnel side of things 
So looking at the roster right now, obviously it's not going to be you know confirmed of who's staying, who's going till after the bowl game and once the transfer portal closes. But just looking at the roster right now and some of the recruits that are coming in for visits and all that, what are the holes specifically that Syracuse that you know John Wildhack has talked about how they they want to be competitive. This is not a rebuild; it's a reboot. What are some of the holes on the roster that a Fran Brown should look to fill? Obviously, given that you know the offense is going to be run a little bit differently, and the defense, I would assume, is not going to be a, a three three five. Right. You know, I think on 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 the offensive side, the big one is quarterback because. For better or worse, in this day and age, you cannot run an offense without a veteran quarterback. And the only way you get a veteran quarterback if you're not developing the ones that you have that are freshmen and sophomores is to go through the portal. So that's the big one is, is who's going to be quarterback, I think. Um, otherwise, like running back, they still got quite a few and they have a couple signings. So I think they're good there. Offensive line, they're not in rough shape they have some guys coming in it looks like they might land a few transfers so that will help their tight end if everything holds is, is perfectly fine I don't think there's any any worries there wide receiver I think would would have been the big one I would have said kind of like immediately leaving the season it's still kind of unclear if Damian Alford's gonna come back and even then like he was the leading receiver this year but we saw how inconsistent he was and how it tended to only be like one or two big plays a game so i think just deepening their wide receiver core and getting guys that can be consistent targets for whoever that next quarterback is 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 probably the main focus there and then you know on on the defensive side i think it's the defensive line and the secondary Defensive line is obviously losing a couple guys, lost Terry Lockett to the transfer portal. You are potentially looking at playing a four down front instead of a three down front. Um, so that's going to add, you need, you need more guys on your depth chart now. And then the secondary was already kind of dwindling this, this season. And I mean, Justin Barron had to play the whole season with a club on his hand, which like if you had more depth, maybe wouldn't have happened. Um, and he maybe would have gotten that club off his hand sooner. Uh, so I think, that those are the two positions on defense. And and so far, like at least in whom they're targeting, not all of these people have been landed yet, but in terms of who Brown is targeting, it does seem like he is aware of those needs and is addressing them. So you had an article up on, on Syracuse.com today about who's visiting Syracuse this weekend. It's a pretty lengthy list, uh, a good mix of uh, high school recruits who haven't committed a good amount of players who committed to Syracuse when Dino Babers was still the head coach. And then a number of players in, in the portal as well. McCord's obviously the biggest name and he's been, you know, driving, you know, people uh, crazy. It, like this, a what some place a five-star, some place a four-star, the quarterback of Ohio state coming to visit Syracuse. How, how real is this McCord stuff? You know, it, I, I do think it's real. I will say that there had been some chatter of this a couple weeks ago that like never kind of made it out there because then Nebraska came into the mix and it seemed like Nebraska was going to land him. And so then I, I don't think things really came back into play with Syracuse again until whatever happened at Nebraska the other day that caused that agreement to fall apart or potential agreement to fall apart. Um, I don't think Syracuse came back into play until after then. So I, I do think it's real. I mean, he has connections to, he's from Philly. He's so he's very close to the Camden area. He, he knows Denis Jaquez Jr. Um, there was photos last night that I retweeted of, of them playing little league together. Um, 
he fits the style of offense that we've kind of heard Brown talk about, like a more pro style quarterback approach, um, very pass heavy. He really only passed the ball this year, um, 3000 yards through the air, but I think like negative 65 rushing, which is like way different than Syracuse is used to in its quarterback game the past few years. So I do think it's real. I do think there's real interest there. I would have to guess. And again, this, this is just a guess. If you don't get him to sign this weekend, that would be like a little bit of a red flag to me. Like if he doesn't come out of this visit and declare that he's coming to Syracuse, then it's like, okay, what's, what are you waiting for? Because both on his side, like, what are you waiting for? You need to get enrolled at a new school. You need to figure out where you're going. But then also on Syracuse's side, you need to have a quarterback in place before the bowl game is over and these guys that have maybe been holding on to their decision to portal make those decisions. Um, so I think if, if we get out of this weekend and there's a McCord announcement, then it, that then Syracuse is set. But if they come out of this weekend and McCord is maybe like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. Then they're going to need to pick up the pace on getting someone else in here and getting someone signed. And, you know, he's been the biggest name, but, you know, if you go to this article and this, you know, very nice chart you have here, it's a two page chart of people that are coming and visiting um, this, this weekend. Some of the other names that stick out to me, you know, the two biggest recruits under this class for Dino were Jamie Tremble, the tight end and, and Jakari Williams, the quarterback, uh, both of them being from Georgia, who were some of the other big names that you think it's important are visiting this weekend? And and what does that signal about Brown's recruiting? Yeah. You know, I think Fidel Diggs is another big one. That is the, um, the edge rusher from Texas A&M who's originally from Camden. There's like four, five guys at this point who are originally from Camden, which is Brown and Elijah Robinson's hometown visiting this weekend. So I think that's huge. Um, I mean, the emphasis here, if you, if, if you look through it, it's definitely defensive players and then like offensive line slash tight end type players. So like, there's a clear trend in what they're looking for and trying to pick up. Um, I think besides digs and the one we've ones we've already mentioned, uh, someone that came up this morning was Devin Grant, who's the safety out of Buffalo um, and is originally from New York. I think he's probably a name to watch as well and would help address that, that secondary concern that they have going on. So if the quarterback, let's say hypothetically, you know, Kyle McCord comes here this weekend, doesn't commit. Who are the other quarterbacks that are on Syracuse's radar? Cause if you look at next year and we're talking about, you know, the reboot, not rebuilding Syracuse, to win needs a quarterback because the quarterback is objectively not coming from the roster that is right now. And Jakari Williams as a freshman would ne wouldn't necessarily be hard to kind of go in and, and start. So who are the other quarterbacks that SU should look for if, if Kyle McCord doesn't commit to Syracuse? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of guys in the portal right now who have Northeast ties, who have ACC ties, who have ties to schools that Brown has been at in the past. Um, this is an old list. So I, there is a chance that some of these people I'm about to name have committed elsewhere. And I'm just not on top of that yet because they're not at Syracuse. But um, I think Will Howard from Kansas state, he's one, he had Syracuse and temple offers during his recruiting cycle. He's from the Northeast. Uh, the Holy cross quarterback, Matthew Sluka, obviously not as big of a name as maybe you want, but he, he had a good season this year and could be someone regionally that they could get. You got, ACC guys, MJ Morris and Mitch Griffiths in the portal who like 
those could be easy pickups. Um, Evan Simon, one of the Rutgers quarterbacks, is in the portal, and he was enrolled when Brown was there, so he knows him. Campanelli was actually his secondary recruiter, and we now know that, well, we know based on his Instagram or his Twitter bio and not a real announcement that Campanelli is coaching the quarterbacks now, so that could be a connection there. And then obviously you have Cole Snyder from Buffalo visited. I don't think he's necessarily the guy you want to drop in a starting role as you're trying to revamp your offense. But if all came down to it, you just got to get someone in there and he's at least experienced and older and can maybe help bring in some of these younger guys like Jakari Williams um, and even Braden Davis who transferred in last year. It'll be really interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks with the portal. But, you know, uh, on the forefront is this, this Boca Raton bowl, uh, a couple things regarding that. I guess first, what is Fran Brown's involvement going to be? Like, will he be at the game? Will he be on the sideline? Will he be in, like what? What is he going to be doing during the game? Because we know that Campanelli is going to be the interim head coach. So it's my understanding that that Brown will arrive in Boca around on the nineteenth. So that's a couple days after the team does. Um, he's obviously hosting visitors this weekend and has to wrap up twenty twenty four recruiting. Signing day is on Wednesday. Um, so he's got to do all that. He's coming down to Boca on the nineteenth. I would I mean, I would assume he's gonna be on the sideline. Like we know he's been around practice and stuff like that. He just hasn't been taking the reins and like leading practice, but he's been around. So I would expect it to kind of be the same situation where it's on the sideline. Maybe he's talking to some guys. Maybe we see a moment with him and Allen or him and Clark, two guys we know he has relationships with already, but um, everything that's been indicated to me is that this like coaching wise, it's going to be the 2023 staff. Really no one that we know is not being retained has like left yet. So like all of that should be in place. Lynch is the only one who's like gotten an offer or been reported to going to be going elsewhere. Um, but as far as I know, he's, he's riding out the bowl with Syracuse, just like the rest of them are. So yeah, Brown will be there, but like, we're not going to like, Oh, like this is a Brown, like it's not going to be a game where you can judge what Brown's offense or defense is going to look like. Cause he's not going to have control in that. Speaking of the X's and O's, um, looking at, you know, the last game against Wake Forest, I think everyone was expecting that same kind of offense with little to no passing. And then Garrett Trader comes out. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, throws about like 15 passes and it, were, it actually looked like a, a functioning um, regular type of offense. What can we expect on on that side of things? I know there hasn't been too much media availability just yet, but are we expecting to see something similar to what we saw against Wake in the last game of the regular season? You know, I I really don't know. If Schrader was already feeling healthy, then you, you would think another month off and and some extra time in the recruit in the like ice room and the PT room and working with trainers and stuff like that. You would think that would would help. Um, and I don't see Schrader being a guy to sit out the bowl game unless he was absolutely told he shouldn't play. Um. I don't have anything more concrete than that. The next time we talk to um, anyone who would know is Sunday night. Um, and then I think it's my understanding. We'll get to watch practices pretty much every day down in Boca. So that'll be interesting. Um, I would expect just by nature of what bowl games are, that it is still LaQuint and, and Valari heavy just to kind of showcase that these are the guys you're going to be watching next year as well. Um, but if Garrett's playing, 
which again, like I haven't received any indication he isn't. Uh, but if Garrett's playing, I think you will see him kind of get to do his thing a little bit too, as like a send off um, because he's a guy that like, isn't going to make the NFL or if he does, it's going to be kind of a backroads path to the NFL and, and some practice squad stuff. He's not getting drafted or anything like that. So this is kind of his last big moment. Yeah. Uh, and he deserves that based on what he's done over the past couple of years, going back to the bowl game itself. I remember when it was announced, you know, there was this kind of, there's a shock, like what? they're playing in the, in the roof claim.com Boca Raton bowl. Uh, they're the first power conference team to ever play in the game. Um, I remember, you know, listening to your and Brent's reaction to them playing and it's like warm weather before Christmas. I mean, could you ask for, for anything better? So, Based on you know your understanding, how did they end up getting to play in this bowl game rather than what it what is an ACC bowl game? So essentially, SU was the bottom of the pack. That's what happened. Is that they they so they all the ACC affiliate bowls. There's twelve of them, I believe. Pick in a certain order, and so there's the top tier that gets the schools like Florida State and Louisville and UNC. I guess would be up there. Um, and then there's the middle pack. And then there's the bottom pack. And then if there's extras, then they get sent to a bowl game like the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. Um, and so the when Florida State was left out of the playoff, that bumped everyone down in terms of what bowls they were going to go to. And from my understanding, caused a lot of chaos in the ACC trying to figure out um, who was going where. Like they got the top sorted because some of that is just like mandated, like Florida state had to go to the orange bowl because that's how that works out. The ACC champion always goes if they're not in the playoff. Um, but then the middle tier got a little jumbly and I don't know all the specifics, but I, I do know that um, Notre Dame ended up as one of the middle tier schools, which none of the middle tier bowls were expecting. And so then when Notre Dame got in the mix for the middle tier bowls, all of them were like, well, we want Notre Dame. And obviously only one of them could have Notre Dame. So then it kind of just ripple affected. Um, but I think just based on, at, at that point, Syracuse was the only ACC school going through a coaching change, um, which obviously puts you in a weird spot for a bowl. So I think they were just like the clear kind of bottom school that was going to get pushed to to this this bowl, which fun for us. And it's still a bowl game. So like, can't complain about it, but um, yeah, that's that's how they slid into that, from my understanding. I'm very excited. I I, I happen to live like 15 minutes from FAU Stadium, so it was a nice oh, really? get to go home and and still cover the game. So I was very excited when the it was announced the Boca Raton Bowl. It will be a, a late live post game show on on Syracuse Sports though, since it's an 8 p.m. kick. Yeah, I I asked our editor Nate the other day. I was like, "So are we doing a, a post game show that night? Because there's also a basketball game, albeit earlier in the day." I was like, "Are we gonna do two pods?" And he was like, "I was like, maybe he'll say no." Like as much as I love doing the post game pods, that they, they do get very late sometimes. Um, and he was like, "No, I think we're gonna do one. I'm gonna push Brent towards doing a bowl wrap up pod." And I was like, "Okay, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also have a 6 a.m. flight out on Friday, so I'm like, oh, I guess geez. won't sleep. Um, but then I get a, I'm I'm off from that Friday through New Year's, so there you go. Just, just got to get through the late bowl game pod at 1 a.m. Right. in the morning, and then hop that 6 a.m. flight, and then you're you're free and clear. Exactly. Um, 
looking at the game specifically, obviously the opponent, South Florida, an interesting season for the Bulls that, you know, they play Alabama close, 17 to 3. They also lose the UTSA, who's a you know decent team, FAU, and they they pull out the win in, in the final week of the regular season against Charlotte to to clinch bowl eligibility. I, th- I think the current line is like Syracuse by three. How competitive yeah. is this game going to be between Syracuse, a Power Five school, and and USF, a, a Group of Five in the AAC? You know, honestly, I did not watch a second of uh, USF football this season outside of that, a little bit of that game against Alabama, because as soon as I saw the score, I was like, what is going on in this game between Alabama and USF? Um, I believe this is their first year under a new coach. Um, So I think that probably contributed to a little bit of the weirdness of their season and, and some of the ups and downs there, you know. Look, it's always hard to tell with bowl matchups because some you're losing personnel, you're transitioning coaches, you've got like for a team like USF, this is another opportunity to punch up at a power five opponent that they don't normally get. And for Syracuse, like you don't know how many of these guys are like, I just want to get through this bowl game and get to Christmas and go home and be done with this. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm planning to dig more a little bit into USF this week and just kind of see what they're like their offensive attack is and and all of that stuff. So look for that on Syracuse.com. Um, but I would expect it to be competitive um, just by nature of how the end of the season went for Syracuse and kind of all the, the turbulence they're going through right now. But who knows? Maybe they've really banded together and are like, we're going to kick USF's butt in this bowl game. I don't know. Yeah, it's an it's an old Big East uh, game uh, from USF. Oh, very true. very short time in the uh, in the Big East in the two thousands and and two thousand tens. Last one for you. What kind of momentum do you think like a game like this does, either positively or negatively, for a program? And, and specifically with Syracuse, like I you know I was out of the country for the Pinstripe Bowl last year, so I don't have the the fondest memories of it. I I've seen highlights, I've heard stories of what happened in the game, but I I couldn't give you you know a paragraph about, about the game because I wasn't able to watch it. Um, but like, what does, you know, winning or losing a bowl game do for you as you move into the off season and then into the next season, even though it's so far away? You know, I think, I think if you are not changing head coaches, a bowl game can be like a great indicator of upcoming talent and who, who are going to be like, key players next year and and stuff like that and just like it's it's just another opportunity to work out any kinks from the end of this season um when you're switching coaches I think it loses a lot of that value because again like a guy could have a great performance next Thursday night for Syracuse but still be like yeah I'm going in the transfer portal on Friday morning and so it's just a little hard to tell um obviously last year like LaQuinn Allen was the breakout performance um, in the bowl game. And that panned out because it did, he was the breakout performance of this year as well. Uh, if not the offensive MVP to some degree. Um, so I, you know what, like, I don't know, like, I think for Syracuse this year, like, it's not going to tell us much. It's just going to kind of put a cap on, on the 2023 season and, and bottle it up and, and lock it away. Um, and then everything will start fresh kind of after that January 2nd date. Thursday night, Syracuse and South Florida. Emily, can't thank you enough for your time. Where uh, where can people you know find your coverage of this game and, and read all of your work? 
You can find all my work on Syracuse.com or in the Post Standard if you get a print newspaper nowadays. Um, and then on X, which I still call Twitter, um, at E-M Liker, which is L-E-I-K-E-R. So how long do you get to go to Florida for? Is it Are you turning I, into a vacation? Yes, I was shocked. I thought for sure I was going to get sent down on like Tuesday or Wednesday and only get like 24 hours. And then... I, I got the okay to fly down on Sunday. So I leave Sunday morning and I get to stay through Friday morning. So I am very excited. All right. Can I come back tan and, and make all your colleagues jealous? Exactly. <laughs> Just like Donna did a couple of weeks ago after going to Hawaii. So Exactly. Uh, well, well, thank you again. Looking forward to reading and, and listening um, after and before the game. And uh, enjoy the trip down to both of you, Jordan and Emily. Enjoy the trip down to sunny Florida. Thank you very much to Emily again. She's been down in Florida for, for quite a few days now, really relishing in the sun. So make sure you check out all of her content. And thank you to Empire Hearing and Audiology for their continued support of the Ostrom Avenue podcast as well. So this game on Thursday, guys, uh, Hudson, you mentioned it. Uh, Jordan, you mentioned it. Um, a win, you know, back-to-back seven-win seasons, back-to-back uh, winning seasons. That's no small feat. Um, it is against South Florida, which I know, you know, we mentioned could be good, but also could not be good. This is a, uh, it, it kind of, you know, we don't really know much yet. The last I saw Syracuse was a three point favorite. Um, you know, this is a, a bowl game in which a power five power conference team has never played in. So, you know, there's a reason for that. And, and we talked about that with Emily, but I, I guess it's kind of mixed as to what could happen here. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell because of all the injuries for Syracuse. You know, you question whether Braden Davis, who's listed as quarterback one, is actually going to start or whether Dan Villari, who's played quarterback a lot over the last couple of games as a tight end, will play quarterback. Um, I haven't watched too much of South Florida, but I know my uncle went to South Florida, a big South Florida fan. He'll be there. So I hope Syracuse wins just so he doesn't have bragging rights over me. Um, but I think... It'll be a close game no matter what, just because Syracuse doesn't have the ability to be explosive on offense. And I think South Florida is respectable enough to, you know, play play it to a close game. I think this is this may come back to bite me in the butt here. I think Syracuse might boat race South Florida. South Florida's wow. got a solid offense, but their defense is atrocious. I don't care that Syracuse can't throw a forward pass. Dan Villari could run completely all over this Bulls team. If you look at some of the scores, remember Navy a few weeks ago and the stinker they put up against Army? They had 30 against South Florida. UAB had 56. Rice had 29. They did somehow hold Alabama to 17, which is... In a monsoon. In a monsoon. In a monsoon. Still, yeah, looks to be the lowest point total they've allowed this season. So it's, it's a really mixed bag. Uh, with South Florida, fifty-nine to Memphis a few weeks ago. Their defense on the on box score. I haven't watched any of the film really of their defense to fully get an understanding. Box score wise, they're getting shredded by these teams. I think Syracuse is big enough, fast enough. Regardless of, I'm not a big Syracuse apologist and big pumping up this team. I think I think South Florida is in for a uh, a whooping. Do we know what the weather is going to be like, Jordan? Have you have, have you checked yeah, the forecast? I, I have gotten the weather report. It's going to be low of, I guess, 59, but that would be, be in the middle of the night. So it's going to be in the mid-60s with no rain. Okay. 
Uh, and from everything I know, uh, I I would guess that Dan Valari is going to play quarterback. Uh, would be my guess at this point. Uh, Jordan, I know you'll get to talk to Nunzio. Uh, I don't know what is that tomorrow? Is that Thursday? Yeah, or, tomorrow. Guess, Wednesday. Tomorrow. Yeah, afternoon. Wednesday. Um, okay, so that'll yeah. be that'll be interesting. That'll air uh, right before our broadcast on, on Thursday night on a yes yes Hudson. Uh, Fadil Diggs committed to Syracuse. As no we're shot, recording, really? as we're recording, let's go! Wow, Fadil look Diggs, at that! Syracuse. Breaking that is, news. That is arguably a bigger recruit than Kyle McCord. Ranked in the transfer portal, he's higher ranked. He's an NFL caliber guy. A lot of the scouting reports say that he is a third round level talent that's just waiting for his spot to shine because there's an oversaturation of talent at Texas A&M. That is a massive, massive pickup. For and Syracuse. where's he from? Camden, Texas A&M. Oh well, yes, he is from Camden. <laughs> I mean, I, I this is, I mean, this happening on the pod is just wonderful. Just yeah. wonderful. also, also, let's not understate the fact of of the defensive line needing to get bulked up because assuming Elijah Robinson will go uh, from the three three five to the four three, you're going to need a lot bigger and a lot more depth on the defensive line. So big pickup. Huge. Absolutely massive. Uh, just as we were getting ready to wrap up our football talk, this happens. So, uh, you know, more big news for Syracuse signing day on Wednesday. Uh, and, and we'll have reaction and analysis to that as well. Before we close things up here on the show, Jordan, I know you're excited about lacrosse. So tell us what's going on in the lacrosse world. Oh, yes. We we got the schedules announced. The uh, what was it earlier? It was early last week, um, both men's and women's. The women are playing 11 games against teams that made the NCAA tournament last year in an insanely hard schedule. Um, the men's team actually has, you know, about the same kind of schedule where they play, you know, not, I don't think it's double digits, but close to double digit teams that are ranked, uh, were ranked in the final poll last year. It is a little bit different this year because there's a men's ACC tournament. They only play each ACC team once. So you only have to face Notre Dame, UVA, Duke, and UNC one time, which is actually probably better for Syracuse men's lacrosse because the ACC and men's lacrosse is absolutely loaded. Um, but the men's lacrosse uh, opening game is against Vermont, the same uh, same one as last year against Chris Fife squad on February third. So we're we're looking forward to it. That's you excited too? In there? I'm thrilled. I didn't know if you were gonna take the rock. No, in. I mean I'm I, I'm washed. I, I, really I don't do lacrosse. Ethan yeah, is actually, washed. You know what? That's true. This is this is Jordan and I now. This is Hudson. Our, if we sorry. if we get a if we get an interview with Chris Fife's again, it's gonna be a great time. He was he was a great oh. interview last year. I can't wait. I cannot wait. All right. This this schedule, though, when I saw it originally, I mean, I, I love the look of it. A tough test against a tough test early against Maryland, Utah Army last year made some waves and then high points and up and coming team. Johns Hopkins, Delaware, Duke. I mean, just all in a row. Good teams. You have that break with Hobart. Big trophy on the line. I mean, this the schedule as a whole looks really fun, not just like a, a talented group of opponents to play, but a unique mix where you get a team in there like Utah, and then it's a neutral site game against Delaware or against Johns Hopkins. It's it's a fun schedule overall, and I'm really excited to see uh, what this team can do with it in a team that should be a not fully title contender, but a, a late round NCAA tournament team. Yeah, I I mean this is what Gary and, and his staff have been building towards, right? It was this year, um, and into the future. 
and that's what recruiting has done and uh, and what this has been as as he enters his his third season as head coach. And then the the other big news uh, that was actually announced today is that Paul Gates uh, number nineteen is going up into the rafters this year. Uh, I believe I don't know if I've asked him this once or twice or maybe three times on the show. I feel like every time we've had Brent on. At least one time I asked him, who's the next person that should have their jersey in the rafters? And every time he said it should be Paul Gate, and he tweeted it again today. He should have gone up with Gary when Gary's 22 was retired. Um, but, you know, very happy for Paul that he is getting this recognition. Obviously, you know, the hesitation there is probably because of, you know, the scandal that happened uh, during his senior year. Um, but he's one of the greatest players in the history of the program. And that's what you do. You honor the best players in the history of your program. Yeah. You love, you love to see it year in, year out. Um, Mikey Powell getting um, his number retired last year. So Syracuse men's lacrosse continuing to honor their best players of all time. Um, each of the last couple of years. Yeah. And the ceremony on April 20th, what game is that? April 20th, Virginia, Virginia. So I'd mean, last game of the season honoring them. And like you said, getting Mikey Powell's name up in the roster, starting to create, I mean, they've had this culture for a while, but obviously solidifying it in stone around multiple places around campus, not in stone or whatever they, they paint on the thing, but still, I mean, solidifying that is also an important part of that. And then honoring Paul Gate, obviously an important piece of that. So I'm glad that they're, they're continuing to do this and honoring the best players. Lacrosse season is just around the corner, and we will have full coverage of it on WAER and on the Ostrom Avenue podcast. You heard Johnny Gadamwitz say his favorite interviews he did on the show. We're interviewing lacrosse coaches, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of those coming up this spring. All right, guys, final thoughts before before we wrap up? I mean, we're talking about football momentum. We just got more momentum by the end of the podcast. Uh, another big recruit. So I feel like and now, you know, we're, we're breaking news, you know, you know, Brent talks about it actually all the time on, on his podcast. By the time, you know, a day or two passes, that's stale because that's what Fran Brown's doing, just keeping up and, and really hitting the ground running. He punishes us for recording with Emily before she goes to Florida. He does. I I think, and I've, I've already said this, obviously, that Fadil Dig signing does more for me to get me excited for Syracuse football next year than Kyle McCord does. Guys like that, I mean, Kyle McCord is is obviously a fantastic player who, you know, it, it was in a really great offense. Fadil Diggs was on a great defense, but he was part of what made that defense so great at Texas A&M. And when you see Texas A&M fans in his comments begging him to stay and finishing it out, and then he chooses Syracuse, that gets me so excited for the next year. It's an exciting time to be a Syracuse fan. The basketball team is playing well. The football team has all the momentum in the world. The women's basketball team is what nine and one now, Jordan. After you were on the call last night, yep, nine and one, nine and one. Um, and it surely will be a good season for both the men's and women's lacrosse teams. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. Thank you to Emily again. Thank you to Empire Hearing and Audiology. You can catch all of W8Yards coverage. On Thursday, starting at 4.30, nonstop until 1 a.m., a doubleheader 
basketball and then football. Uh, you'll hear plenty of my voice breaking all things down. So, so please tune in um, to all of our coverage of basketball and football and follow us on social media at W8ER Sports, at W8ER Sports Talk, and the Ostrom Avenue Podcast at Ostrom Avenue Pod. Find us on YouTube as well, where you can see our beautiful faces and all of our interviews uh, live there, the Ostrom Avenue Podcast YouTube channel. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the pod. We'll see you in a few days with a whole lot of basketball talk. Happy holidays, everyone.